Hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of Kavam. Sorry it's been forever since the last one. Summer came in and just meant that, you know, it just doesn't quite happen. Um, but of course we are a Doctor Who podcast where we talk all about Doctor Who, DVDs, Blu-rays, the special features, documentaries of Doctor Who. And of course today the animations of Doctor Who. We're going to be discussing the animated version of The Abominable Snowman that was released earlier this week. Um, discussing the animation itself, what we like and dislike about it, we're going to cover off the special features included in the, bo in the uh, DVD, Blu-ray, Steelbook release, whichever one you've got. And we're also going to talk about whether there is any hope for a future um, animated Doctor Who or not, because it looks like this could be the end. Um, so it's going to be a fun little chat. I'm joined today by Bill and Ryan. Uh, Ryan, have you been enjoying another chance to look at some animated Doctor Who? Because it feels like it's been a while since the last one. Yeah, it's definitely been a long one. I think it's been about just just over a year since the last one. I think the last one, I think, was Evil of the Daleks. Oh, no, it's Galaxy, Galaxy 4. Galaxy 4. Oh. That was like November last yeah. year, I think, something like that. <laughs> so it's been a long time, but... Yeah, it, does, it feels like it's been ages and probably going to be even more ages now after this, oh, yeah. indefinitely, given the state of news there's been about Doctor Animations, but Indeed. hopefully we can hope for the best, but we shall soon see. Yeah, uh, indeed. And Bill, we do at least have one more to chat about and discuss today, don't we? Which is 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 exciting and is good is a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing to be having another animation. Um, yeah, it's it has been almost a year now since the last one, so we I'm surprised really that um, it didn't really include a documentary about the animation itself because mm. it might have been interesting to see why it took them a bit longer. Um, maybe some of the BBC America stuff had a part to play in that, perhaps. Um, yeah, it is, it is a shame that this is going to be at least the last one for probably at least a couple of years, but um, I'm sure that they will continue in some form some time down the line at some point. Yeah, exactly. And we'll certainly come on to more discussion about that that possible future for the for the animation range. So the Abominable Snowman, I can't say it's um, a story that I had massively strong feelings about either way. I, I definitely had watched the recon once, like, I don't know, four years ago or something. Um, obviously, there was only one existing episode, episode two. So it's I feel like it's been a story that people, it's not been quite in the same sort of consciousness and awareness than certainly web of fear has become since it got rediscovered around 10 years ago um so ryan what what sort of impressions of the story did you have going into the animation did you have much an idea of the story um more of a roughness it's been nearly a decade since i last um listened to this story so it's been a good and it's and i will say um some of it I only remembered vague bits of it because obviously it's been nearly a decade ago, but watch it again. It did help bring it back. What I did remember about it and rediscovering it again. Yeah. And when they did first announce it, I was interested in it. I mean, then again, with the web of fear part three getting animated, it was only a matter of time before the abominable snowman was going to get the same treatment. And yeah, and I was excited about it because uh, it's great intelligence and the Yeti, which I think is always a plus and seeing how they were able to sort of, you know, capture that, that setting of Tibetan animation yeah. and how they were going to um, translate everything. And I love to say with the, and it, of course it was done by the same team who did the Fury from the Deep yeah. animation. Yeah. So, uh, which I thought was, solid enough even though i did have some issues with it the arms mostly um <laughs> i would say this is definitely their best effort to date i do think this definitely they've learned their lesson from fury from the deep they, i think they refined it a bit more and having watched it twice um i didn't think the arms looked as long as they did originally in fury from the deep yeah so that Definitely a plus. And mm. I definitely think they got it. I think they got it just about right. Again, not my favourite animation. That will mm. probably still go to Evil of the Daleks. Mm. But this is still a, a good, solid attempt. And in terms of the, in comparing the two, 
Yeti great in terms of animations. This is leagues above <laughs> Web of Fear, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Web of Fear. Well, we don't talk about Web of Fear. We did one podcast on it, and that was in well enough to talk about the Web of Fear. Um, yeah, we're not going to go any there. Um, Bill, for you, was it was it a new story? Was it something you had much um, awareness of going into it? Um, I think. I think I once had the target novelization. Okay. Of it, I think about 10. So I'd read that, but, um, and obviously watched the reconstruction and everything, but I still, yeah, it's still been a while for me. So um, to be able to kind of like Ryan, like jog my memory by watching it again, that was really nice. And um, yeah, I'd, I, I think like you were saying, it's kind of one of them stories, which I think does get forgotten about. Um, I think, especially compared to the Web of Fear, because like you say, it was um, most of the episodes were rediscovered 10 years ago. And then just, I suppose, if you were to take them even as just stories themselves, I suppose the Web of Fear kind of has got more going for it because it's in the London Underground, um, it's first appearance of the Brigadier and stuff like that. Um, whereas the Bonneville Snowman, it's still a really cool setting with the... Um, being in the Himalayas and everything, but um, I suppose maybe for some people, it, it doesn't quite um, capture the imagination, perhaps as much as Web of Fear does. Mm. Um, but having said that, I think it is actually a pretty good story um, and deserves a lot more um, attention. And I'm glad, obviously, of this animation being released um, a few days ago, that it will now get that attention that it needs. Um, as for the like animation itself, like Ryan, I wouldn't really say that it's my favourite, but I, again, I wouldn't say it's my least favourite either. I mean, I would definitely take it over The Web of Fear and <laughs> Galaxy 4. Yeah. Um, because it's definitely a much better animation than them two. But uh, not to say Galaxy 4 was bad, but the story itself didn't really, you know, wasn't very interesting. But the animation for The Bonneville Snowmen worked quite well yeah um i think it is one of um big finishes better attempts at it yeah um mm. the only thing i would really say is i think that i think most of the sets worked fine uh, uh, with the animated characters and everything even though they kind of went what they did with i think fury from the deep which is more kind of realistic approach to the sets um but i think the one set that didn't quite right compared when you had the animated characters in it was the um courtyard in the monastery mm. i think looked a bit too realistic for the animated characters to be in but it's still a really good looking set so you know it's just a little nitpick really but yeah i, I would say it's a really good animation and it's a good one to kind of end this particular phase of the animation on yeah yeah exactly yeah i definitely yeah i definitely agree with you i think that you know, certainly for me, I didn't have much of an impression of this story going into it. I couldn't recall the plot. So it's it was kind of nice to go into something quite fresh. I mean, I watched this at the BFI as well, which is quite exciting. I'll cover that off in a minute, some of the um, info that came out of the BFI. But yeah, seeing it on the big screen was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, just some of the sort of vistas and things look so impressive. You know, the sort of the, the sort of mountains that we see in there, that sort of high shot looking down on the monastery as well. That I thought that was really, really impressive. And just a lot of the, yeah, the sort of what would have been location scenes, I suppose, um, do feel really well realized, the sort of vibrant colors of the snow and then the yetis and and all of that. I think it just, just those, that side of the animation works really, really effectively. Um, obviously, the story itself, I think, is just kind of quite slow is probably the best way I can describe it. It sort of feels those first kind of two or three episodes, it, you know, it's not, it's not that it's bad in any way. It does just feel like it's quite a sort of slow, gradual plot, um, more than some some classic. I know classic here is generally pretty slow, but it just felt parts of this were particularly slow. And, you know, it probably didn't help that um, Pad, Padma Sambavar was talking exceptionally slow the whole way through the story as well. He liked a really e-long his words it's just you know it makes a scene last a very long time um to get the information across there but you know it was okay and i thought you know i thought that sort of side of it that looked really cool the um padma Samavar, his sort of um 
what you could kind of was kind of hidden behind that sort of curtain you could kind of see the outline a sort of ghostly figure and then had him sort of revealed as this you know really creepy looking meant to be like 300 year old person or something essentially he was obviously possessed by the great intelligence that you know i thought that looked was really well realized and you know the same with the yetis as well themselves as much as they kind of looked like they had massive beards on their faces is the only way i could describe it i felt that sort of darker bit just looked like massive beards um but it was fine. I thought it worked. It still worked. Um, and, you know, we got the usual good um, modelling of the main characters and things like that as well, um, which I all thought worked really effectively. Though I did think it was kind of funny that in the scenes with um, lots of, like, extras, essentially, that you could see that those extras were just the same character models duplicated with different facial hair and, like, a different hat or something. And I just thought that was quite funny that they hadn't gone to the extra lengths to create different character models. They just duplicated them and then tweaked little features on them to try and make them appear different for those, you know, scenes where they needed it. But it was great that they actually did that because, obviously, with a story like Galaxy 4, the last one we had, there was, like, four characters in that story like you virtually never saw more than two or three characters on screen at the same time because it was such a small cast whereas actually there's quite a few people in this monastery so obviously there's going to be quite a few characters and i think it was good that the animation was still able to kind of cater for that i suppose um yeah so i thought that was really really impressive but yeah for ryan for you what were sort of the were the, what were the particular highlights of the animation did you think what do you think really worked about it well one thing i will say is that well, first of all, I will agree that it is a bit of a slow story, but I, actually, um, I'm, funny enough, this morning I was watching Galaxy 4 with my niece, Imogen, because she wanted to watch it, and even though that is a shorter story with only four parts, it that felt slower than this one for mm. some reason. I don't know what it is, but there was something about Galaxy 4 that made it feel, even though it's shorter, it felt more slower than this one. And this is a six-parter, so <laughs> it's a little... It was. I definitely noticed that, uh, which was a bit weird. Um, in terms of the highlights of the animation, um, I was actually surprised by the complete redesign of Pamba Sambava because, I've, obviously, even though I heard the audio, I, had, I did see the pictures of what he actually looked like in the story about his original design and the, so to see he, the fact that he was completely redesigned that completely took me by surprise because mm. i thought they were going to um stick at least close enough to what he originally these kinds of type but the fact that he was the most chased again that was probably the biggest i think that was probably the biggest highlight was the fact mm. that they, they went in such a massive radical direction instead of being this sort of almost elegantly robed yet slightly more obviously makeup on his <laughs> looking guy yeah, yeah they went with sort of this ragged cloak and looking like a decaying corpse really which was again pretty striking but honestly i thought the redesign actually kind of worked within the context yeah. of the story and given the fact that he's this is a body that's meant to be over 300 years old and <laughs> it makes perfect sense. And so I'm, yeah, I was definitely impressed with the fact that they went with such a radical direction in certain areas in it. Yeah, exactly. I, th and I think that's the thing with these animations. I've kind of, maybe I've had a change of heart since many years ago. I don't know, but I feel like they should take creative decisions to do things a little bit differently because it's the medium of animation and like why wouldn't you take that opportunity to like improve things in places fix things in places like the animation is never going to replace the original story and that you know it sh i don't think it should necessarily try to do that 100 percent. obviously it is very much a visual representation of something that we can't watch anymore and that's great but i don't feel like it has to try and be exactly like the original and we should you know criticize that. i think as you say ryan i think it can improve the story in many areas if you improve on some of these costumes and designs of things that just weren't so good in the original um so yeah i th i i think that it's important to have that creative freedom in many ways um but yeah for, for you bill what were some of the uh, highlights of the animation um i think it was just um just the whole thing just felt a lot better um than than like say some of the previous ones and um it just it worked 
well within the story like it wasn't like um i suppose you could say it wasn't really like the animation whereas the web of fear one was so different from anything we'd gotten before that it was kind of almost distracting really to the actual mm. episode um whereas with the abominable snowman because it's a more familiar kind of animation design that we're used to um i felt like it worked a lot better with the story and um yeah just gelled a lot better with it and yeah as for reimagining things again i'm like like um like you i'm completely for it in many ways if it if it will um improve the story and i think it did improve the story a lot yeah um like i know i think gary russell said that they deliberately wanted to make the monks look actually look like actual tibetans from that era yeah as opposed to um just white guys in their makeup and everything which mm -hmm. they did in the original um and i yeah i think as much as yeah it might be kind of i suppose jarring to go from that and then to the surviving episode two i yeah. think it, it works a lot better really because it it shows us that when we are in you know Tibet in the Himalayas we are in a different place a different country mm. um and um I mean I've not watched the colored uh animation but I'm sure they've probably been able to actually include snow for the Himalayas as opposed to the original of course because there was no snow uh where they were filming in I think Wales wasn't it at the time I actually I have an in I have an interesting fact about that thanks to um Gary Russell at the um BFI screening, he said that actually on the Himalayas, there's hardly any snow. And so, and he had a mate who went there just before they did the animation or something. And he said, there's hardly any snow here. And so actually there is very little, it's only on the very tops of the mountains that there's snow. And so on the rest of it, it's very much just sort of like brown, muddy, slushy type sort of ground to it, rather than it being completely covered in snow, because that's not the reality of most of the Himalayas. It's only the very, very tops. So I thought, yeah, obviously the real, you know, the real explanation was they were in Wales and there wasn't any snow, but even in the Himalayas, that actually wasn't the case. So they decided against doing that. And as he was also explaining, it gets a whole lot more complicated with animating if you have snow because you've got a footprint that goes down into the snow and then comes out and you've got to, you know, keep that going on every single scene and every shot and it'd just be a nightmare. So they thought, let's not bother with the snow so much. Yeah, I mean, what else? I, obviously, I went to the BFI, so I might as well try and pull out anything interesting that I learned from... Um, yeah because they had Gary Russell, they had Rob Ritchie and Johan Morris. Rob Ritchie, who's the main guy who's done Daleks on lots of the previous ones. I think he did some of the TARDIS models. And then Johan helped on some of the initial concepts for it. And it sounded, from what Gary was saying, it basically sounded like the process started like two and a half years ago. Pretty much before COVID even happened, they started discussing and working on this. And that actually a vulnerable snowman was commissioned before Galaxy 4 like the BBC, I don't know, in 2019, maybe, I think, 2018, 19, said, we want you to do Abominable Snowmen. And then a bit further down the line went, also, by the way, can you do Galaxy 4 as well? So I thought that was quite interesting, that they didn't necessarily commission it in the order it was released. Um, I can't remember quite if there was a reason why they went and did Galaxy 4 first, but that certainly Abominable Snowmen was given the commission much earlier. And I think in many ways, they sort of knew that it was going to be the last one. So they wanted to kind of end on that slightly higher note, because I feel like any on Galaxy 4 would have not been the greatest thing for the animation range. It really has to be said. Um, I'm glad they at least went back to a slightly better and more love story for this part. Um, but yes, it was in, that was interesting to hear that they worked on it for ages. Um, I think they said, Gary said they, they were sort of actively working on it for around 15 to 18 months. I I'm pretty sure Evil of the Daleks was 18 months and then this, I think, was 15 months. Um, but it was pretty much all done by March this year, March, April this year. So I don't know quite why it took them another six months to release it. But um, yeah, much earlier in the year, it was actually completed. Um, Bill, as you said, with the different characters, they obviously decided to, you know, have them represented correctly within the monastery um, of, you know, real Asian characters that it should, that would actually be in the monastery, whether it's from Korea or China or Japan, different Asian countries and having those sort of people in there, which just kind of gave that story more realism, I think, than what the reality of it actually would, what we would have seen. So yeah, there were lots of interesting little tidbits like that. that he came. I'm trying to think, 
can't remember if there's anything else he said, but it was a very, very interesting um, little discussion afterwards. Obviously, it was great to see the actual thing. Um, we saw it sort of in two parts, episodes one to three and then four to six. Uh, we saw the first seven minutes of the documentary as well, which was quite cool to see a little bit of that up on the big screen as well. It all just looks cooler when it's on a big cinema screen as well, doesn't it? So um, that was really fun. And yeah, it was just, just you know, a good experience. I mean, obviously, there's probably not going to be any more animated ones, but um, they are doing one for, uh, they're doing the Time Meddler for the season two Blu-ray um, at the end of October, which I think will also be quite good. So I think I might, I might try and go to some more of these because they're actually quite fun um whether it's a new story in to you in a way i guess or not i think it's still quite a fun experience um and obviously the other thing that gary um had something to say about was the future of animated doctor who um and the fact that that's looking fairly unlikely at the moment it has to be said um you know he was basically flat out asked by the sort of moderator a guy from the bfi you know is this going to be the final one? And he basically, you know, or are you working on anything else at the moment? And he was like, no, we're simply not. That's just, that's it. Big Finish Creative, who are the guys who have made this and Galaxy 4 and Fear from the Deep and maybe another one? Or was was it Faceless Ones as well? I can't actually remember. Um, Faceless Ones was done by the same people who did the Macro Terror. Okay, and you're the- right, which is the other one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then they, they, yeah. So then this lot have done, yeah, Fury, Galaxy 4 and this. And they're finished doing animations. They're not going to do any more. That's that's game over. Um, and he said there's he's not aware. He knows there's not any active projects of any other animations of the, as well at the moment. Um, so, you know, he sort of talked about how it's going in cycles. We had the invasion. Then we had that set of four in 2013 with Reign of Terror, Ice Warriors, Tenth Planet and Moonbase in the space of a sort of a year or so. And then Power of the Daleks kind of kicked off this next run of releases we've had. And we've had, obviously, you know, Sharda, Macro Terror, Faceless Ones, Fear from the Deep, Evil of the Daleks, Galaxy 4, and this. And Web of Fear, I suppose, as well, the extra episode of Web of Fear. So we've had loads, and that's been brilliant. But this is very much that end point for the time being. Um, and, yeah, which is a, is a real shame for many reasons. Obviously, the animations have been great, and it's a real shame that they are coming to an end. It's not to say they'll never do any more, but it's just that, you know, as of today, no one at the BBC is planning to make any more animations. That's kind of where we're at. Rather than it will never happen, it's just that right now it's not going to. Um, and yeah, that's a shame because they've been great and there's still so many to animate. We've obviously got the 60th anniversary next year as well, which would have been an ideal time to release some animations. So it's a real shame that that seems very unlikely, particularly given the lead time of animations. I, I struggle to see an animation coming out next year if they haven't even thought, even if they started tomorrow, it'd be a stretch to get it out before the end of next year so i don't know um bill for you does does it feel you know a bit of a a a sad moment to sort of be saying goodbye to animations for the time being it does yeah i mean it's like you say it's been really um a lot of stuff has been released over the past few years especially since um 2020 i think um there's been so there's been at least two or three every single year for the past Mm -hmm. two years and yeah you know i think we've gotten so used to that being the case that now that it's suddenly abruptly come to an end it's it's going to take a while to get used to definitely but you know even I mean I don't I try to be optimistic about it and think I don't really believe that this is the final end for animations as a whole Um, I think there will come a time maybe in three to five years where we might get another couple or something but um, even if, you know, these were the last ones we ever got, I think we've, we've gotten just so many, we've, we've filled in so many gaps already. I mean, the fact that, you know, we've almost completely finished the Patrick Troughton era. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is something that I never thought would happen like mm. five, 10 years ago. So the fact that we've only got, I think, three stories actually left to animate now of his entire era. That is a massive achievement. And, you know, all the people involved in these animations, I, I really do think that, um, you know, they should themselves for how much, for, you know, the work they've done has been so consistently good. I mean, even Web of Fear, Galaxy 4, you know, the, the ones that we didn't enjoy quite as much, <laughs> at least we've got them. You know, um, uh, it's better to have um, them than nothing, I suppose. Mm. Um, So, 
yeah, it is it is a bittersweet and very um, tragic that it's come to an end so soon. But hopefully, I mean, I, I don't think anyway that this will be the last animation ever, but it may take quite a while because, I mean, who knows who else is going to be able to fund them? Um, yeah. And who knows what other issues there could be? I mean, we say it's the funding, but you never know. There could be all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's yeah, it's a sad time and it's an in, interesting to think about, yeah, what if it were to come back, how it would come back. Um obviously as you say, Billy, we, we should be, you know, we're very lucky to have what we have. There's, you know, we should I think that's it's important to not feel that sort of entitlement that we should get more, you know, they should keep making them for us because actually we're just really lucky to have what we have so far. I mean, I was just looking through the episode list and it's like we've gone from a point of you know most of Troughton being destroyed and gone to having the majority of season four five and six now all of his seasons you know you're only missing the wheel in space in season five now that's the only pretty much the only that's the only one with anything missing and even season four there's only a couple of stories in there what Highlanders and a couple of episodes of Underwater Menace that haven't been animated like and then the space pirates season six and that's it for the whole of the Troughton era when before you know 10 years ago we were we were missing you know a vast number of stories huge parts of it so yeah i think we can be very pleased with that i think certainly if you're a a hartnell fan i suppose you could feel a little bit hard done by that the focus has been so heavily on trouson and i can definitely understand that and i think it's I don't know if it's a surprise that they've gone this route, but I guess it's always been once they started doing Troughton, it was therefore always cheaper to use the same character models and so do more Troughton stories that have got the same characters in and that's more straightforward. And a lot of Troughton stories are probably easier sells because of the monsters in them and all that kind of thing as well. So I kind of understand that. But I don't know, Ryan, do you think as a if you're if you're a really big Hartnell Doctor Who fan, then you might feel a bit hard done by that of all these animations, only one of them has been a Hartnell one. Yeah, I, I would definitely understand. I mean, I absolutely love all of the 60s. I'm both a Hartnell and a Troughton fan. I mean, I've always maintained that um, Hartnell, Troughton, Pertwee, Baker and Capaldi are my favourite Doctors ever. And so, and yeah, just, it's a shame we're not getting any more Hartnells because I would have loved an animation of Dalek's master yeah. plan. I knew that That's was the always one. going to be yeah. a big task. It was always going to be a big challenge. Yeah. But I would have loved to have seen that mm. and the original Mission to the Unknown mm. animated. And the fact we only got a little tease of that at the end of Galaxy 4. <laughs> it's the worst, isn't it? That's never going to happen. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a real shame. Because I would have loved to have seen that animated. I would have also liked to have seen other... Hartnell's animated, whether it's Marco Polo, The mm. Crusade, um, The Massacre, The Savages. I think there's some Hartnell stories that would have definitely benefited from mm. animation, the animation treatments. And, and yes, it is a shame that Charlton got more of a priority. And, but then again, a lot of them were really great ones. I mean, we've got Evil of the Daleks, Macra Terra, Faceless yeah. Ones. I mean, really good, solid animations. And it is, a, it is a real shame that the funding was cut off by BBC America and they weren't being able to do anymore because I think they were pretty much on a roll after... Um, I guess Power of the Daleks starts off a bit iffy, but then again, that was basically... They were basically half done with that yeah, story yeah. by the time it came out. And it took them another few years until they managed to properly release yeah, it. Yeah, fixed it. <laughs> yeah, forget that one happened. Yeah. The, the second release of Power of the Darlings. Yeah, and, uh, and that ended up being better than it was originally, uh, of course. And, but I think by the time they did the second one, which was Sharder, yeah. I think they were pretty much on a roll yeah. after that because I think they really got into the swing of... Um, with the animations. Yes, there were some hiccups on the way, <laughs> what the fear, um, but, uh, but for the most part, it was, they were doing really well with these animations and uh, in particular, this stage of animations. I think, because what we've got been some of the best of the lot and it's a real shame that it's been cut off short, especially when it's 
the 60th anniversary is just right around the yeah. corner. And I would have loved to, them to manage to squeeze out another two, maybe even three mm. next year. And then yeah. that would have been it. But mm. uh, it's, it's sad. It's yeah. really sad. And I would have loved at least a good chunk of them to end up the collection Blu-rays. And then with the animations now being cut practically dead at this point in time, it's going to be... I'm curious to know what they're going to do about season three when yeah, they get was, to yeah. the Blu-ray I was just looking into back. this and, and thinking about it. And I think, you know, we've kind of been saved for some seasons. Like seasons four and five have kind of been saved by the animation range, particularly season four. Like most of that is animation now, um, which is great that we've got that. But um, And so I think really season three is the only truly problematic season now that needs to be released mm. because the rest of them have all only got maybe one or two of the most stories that don't have animation or episodes. But season three is just the disaster from from an episode point of view. Like you've got to feel that's probably going to be pretty much the last release they do as well. Like yeah, they're going to put it off as long as possible and hope something gets animated between now and then because it just... Yeah, there's, you know, there's what, uh, Missions of the Unknown, four episodes of The Myth Makers Missing, nine episodes of Dalek Master Plan, four of The Massacre, three of Celestial Toymaker, and four of The Savages. That's like, what, 30 episodes missing? That you're just yeah, going to try and sell so... Telesnap recons of? It's yeah. yeah, I don't envy the team having to do that. Yeah, the fact that it seems like what we now know from the season two announcement, that it seems mm. like the only route forward is recons with yeah. audio yeah it's it's going to be a little bit of a tough sell <laughs> if it's yeah. just going to be recons because i gave the abominable snowman a bit of a test uh, with the recons and i can understand why some say it's a rough going when trying out the recons yes oh, recons are i'll do them because i want to experience the story but you know, it's not necessarily... I don't want to say it's not an enjoyable experience, but it's not really enjoyable watching Reconstructions. Wow. You're just kind of trying to do it because you're a fan and you feel like, I've got to get through this story in my marathon, so I've got to watch the recon. Um, and, I mean, at least the recons nowadays aren't as bad as the infamous Underwater Menace recon. Um, but, you know, outside of, outside of that, they're a little bit better. But, yeah, I think it, it's more more manageable when you know like season two's only got two recons on it for the two episodes of the crusade at worst case i guess season one will have the whole of marco polo um and season six will have what four episodes of the space pirate five episodes of the space pirates so it's not as much as having 30 episodes across six different stories like we're gonna have in season three so yeah well that's a problem for five years time i sense because um yeah unless they find some way of making the recons more visually appealing than yeah. they were before. If they find some way, then maybe mm. it will be passable. But if not, I think we're going to be in a rough going, especially when it comes to season three. Yes, yeah. That's that's always going to be the one with a little bit of concern, I think it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, of course, we've talked about the animation itself and the future of animations, but we haven't yet covered off the special features included in the Abominable Snowmen um, release, because, of course, with anything classic Doctor Who, at least, um, there are some special features there, which are usually worth watching. Um, and the we had a couple of little extra bits. We had um, an interview from the 90s with um, the writer Mervyn Hazeman, I think it is, it's Hazeman. Um, and JNT, done by JNT um, from, I think, an American or Canadian thing in the 90s, which, you know, a reasonable short little interview, um, an archive interview. And there's some location footage as well, because, of course, famously, Fraser Hines took a uh, 8mm film camera onto the uh, location shoot. And so there's some great, really high, you know, stunning, because it's film, it's really high quality as well. Some really impressive footage um, from the story. Uh, or from behind the scenes of the story, I guess, which is really cool to see. But of course, the main feature was the latest Chris Chapman documentary, uh, the making of uh, for um, the Abominable Snowmen, Trousen in Tibet. And they went on site to uh, Wales, so Snowdonia, to go and film it, film it take Fraser Hines and Atalis to Snowdonia. Um, Bill, what, what did you think of this documentary? You know, I thought it was quite fun, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed the... Um sort of like relationship that uh, Fraser Hines and um, Toby Haddock had with each other. Um, 
and I thought, yeah, it was, it wasn't really a kind of um, massively, well, it was in depth, but it wasn't massively in depth, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, as compared to some other like making of documentaries. But I think it was a nice kind of different, fun way of doing the making of documentary, not just sitting people down, you know, and just having them talk about what happened and yeah. everything. Um, it was nice to have uh, Fraser and Toby on location with the TARDIS. And then I think the makeup designer, Sylvia James, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, joins them later on as well. Yeah. Um, and it was it was just nice to hear, like, all their different recollections of the production and what it was like, especially to film on location and how I think it was one of the, like, they, they, were, they were really glad when they were able to go on location because you know they'd been stuck in the studio in London for so long that they were so happy to get out to you know somewhere as far away from London as Wales um so yeah I I think it was just really lovely it was nice to see um I can't remember his name but the the last ice warrior um not not ice warrior the uh last yeti um person John John Hogan yeah, that's it. Um, who I think he recently passed away, didn't he? Yeah, Just... it was it was quite poignant. We were I'm at the yeah. BFI on Sunday. Chris Chapman revealed that, or Saturday, he revealed that he'd learnt that morning that John had passed away. I think he passed away in reality in sort of January or February of this year, but nobody had known about it until this point. John had gone to, or oh, sorry, Chris Chapman had gone to what was John's old house to try and you know see what was going on and learnt that he'd passed away. So that's why there isn't a sort of dedication or anything in that because they simply didn't know when they were making it. Um, but obviously it's great to be able to have him included in there when they shot it last year. So that was that was really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, just overall, I just think it was a really good making of documentary. Um, like I say, it, it was a bit different from some of the more traditional making ofs, but I think that works in its favour. And yeah. yeah, it was just like you say it was just a lot of fun and I really really enjoyed it yeah I think as you say it kind of you know I think a good comparison in many ways is like what we recently discussed was the um with the two doctors what they did a new making of for um the two doctors on the season 22 box set and of course that they weren't able to go on location to go and shoot that and so it did feel much more the sort of classic style shall we say you know talking heads making of documentary um as opposed to a lot of the stuff Chris Chapman does where he kind of, I guess, tries to think out of the box with it a little bit sometimes and just, you know, tries to find more visually interesting and unique ways of covering different stories. And obviously it depends on the story because, you know, we remember Galaxy 4, for example, there's no location to shoot that with or anything like that. And so he just took a chumbly to Peter Purvis's house and filmed that instead. Like he just kind of looks for ways to just make it visually interesting obviously you know a bomb or snowman massively played into its favor by having it filmed in snowdonia and it's it's even if i guess some of the insight is more just wow it's so great to be back here and oh don't you remember how much fun we had or how cold it was or whatever um you know as opposed to really in-depth gritty detail of it which there was an element of in, in the documentary but maybe not the same degree i think it's just makes it all that bit more fun i suppose a fun and enjoyable watch and just being able to see also what these locations look like now after well you know 50 what 55 years 55 years since this story was released um so yeah i thought that was great i thought it was a real great part of it ryan what what, what was your take on the documentary i thought it was a really good solid documentary it, it was also um moon balloon um i think they were the company that did the documentary, and of course, they did a lot of the documentaries for the collection range. Yeah, and yeah Moon Balloon is basically the name that Chris Chapman, Chris Chapman calls all his films. Basically, it's the sort of I'm not sorry, it's an official production company, but it is the production company that he runs essentially. Yeah, and I'll have to say he does definitely knows how to make um, insightful documentaries and make them feel as a very important as opposed to the original behind the scenes stuff and it was just basically talking head interviews. He it seems like he definitely wants to make these ones stand out much more than they had yeah. been in the past. And <laughs> this is definitely no exception. It was great to see how see them back on Snowdonia in South Wales and trying to match up locations to see where they matched in the original footage. It was seeing Fraser Hines there as well is always a joy mm-hmm. and it's 
yeah, I definitely thought this was a great documentary and definitely added some more insight into it and seeing how Deborah Watling got her dad the part of Professor Travers and seeing old like archive interviews with them and of course again hearing the famous story about that one time when they were filming that scene where she was in that trance by the great intelligence and they tried to find a way to snap her out of it and then of course they ended up playing a magical joke and just took like a I think it was like a box of all like all the props and anything they could grab and just dropped it behind her to cause her, which I thought was yeah hilarious so yeah, yeah. it was definitely a fun a fun documentary and definitely a good addition to this um to this um for this story and no doubt for the collection rate it inevitably appears on the uh the season five box set yeah exactly exactly and and that again was another thing that chris chapman was talking about at the bfi was just the opportunity that with these releases to be able to make making of documentaries that just simply might not have happened if they didn't have an animation and didn't have a budget to do that or anything like that because as great as the collection releases are they don't have endless money and you know if there's seven stories with no making of documentary you're not going to get a making of for all seven of them on a collection box that you might get one or two and so by ticking these off the list and particularly you know last year's with a story like galaxy 4 that 100% would not have got a making of if it was just a missing story on the collection range. Like, it would just be bare bones, a couple of recons. But actually, we've got a 40-minute making of for it, um, you know, with a chumbly at Peter Purvis's house. So it's just, you know, these things where I think we can be really grateful that we've got not just the animations themselves, but also this extra content that, again, just likely wouldn't have been made if, if you know, these animations hadn't come to pass. So I think, yeah, we, we can be quite lucky with that. And I think that this, again is one of those great documentaries, you know, that we've kind of, I don't want to say become used to, but we just kind of, I think, almost feel like we expect a higher standard than we may be used to now, when we've just seen that, like, the production values can be kind of just increased in that way by just going out on location, taking a drone, taking the TARDIS and plumping it down somewhere, like they did with um the location, location, location feature on the Season 22 box set. Um, you know, it's just the simple things, but it can make such a big difference to just the enjoyment of these different features, and I think that we definitely have seen that again here um and i think we're going to see a bit of that on the season two box set as well we've got the i think looking for david feature haven't we about david whittaker um and a few different a few different new features there as well um which we're going to be talking more about down the line but yeah so overall guys where where would you say this animation ranks in the um set of animations i know it's always a hard ranking and i feel like well we probably did a ranking where we did our animation special like a couple of year ago or something but then we've had a few releases since then so maybe we should do another one now that they've kind of stopped but um i'm going to come to you first bill if you could put it today either if you're going to put it at number one then put it number one or if it's below that then you've got to name which stories you've put above abominable snowmen that's that's the task i know it's a hard one i know it's a hard one that's very hard (laughs) um yeah it's very hard because there's just so many good ones isn't there especially the past few years um I wouldn't say it's number one. No. Um, I think that would probably go to something more like um, Evil of the Daleks or yeah. Macrotero or something like yeah. that. Um, at least the ones of the past few years anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose, I think it would definitely, if not in the top five, then just yeah. out of it, I think, at least. Mm-hmm. So fifth or sixth place. Um so probably, I suppose, between, um, I know some people didn't like Fury from Deep, but I actually quite enjoyed it. But then again, I just like the story anyway, so that's mm. probably why. So I'd probably put, I suppose I'd probably put it maybe a little bit above Fury from the Deep, actually, okay. and then have um, probably... Evil the Daleks. Uh, no, actually, no, not Evil Daleks. <laughs> I've already said that for number one. Um, no, Power of the Daleks. I think I'd put as the yeah. the um, remastered version. Yeah. Um, probably Bonneville or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's fair. That's a good ranking. I I, I can go with that. I'll give you mine in a minute. But uh, Ryan, where's your where's your ranking at? 
a little bit similar to Bill's, actually. I think Evil of the Daleks is definitely my number one. Yeah. Then it would be the Macro Terror. Then Sharder. Um, okay. uh, then Faceless Ones, Power, Evil of the, Power of the Daleks remastered. Yeah. Then it would be this. Then Fury from the Deep. I, I think they're both in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, but then again, do we count the previous answer, the Invasion? So, because I would put Invasion yeah, that. around that yeah. area as well. Yeah, because I, I do think the Invasion animation, even though it was the first one, that was some, still a great animation. Yeah. Well, um, they had, they, had they, they probably had the biggest budget of any of the animations in, to do it. To be honest. So that's probably one of the reasons why it looks so good and just fits so well in that story. I think it's definitely high up there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the 2013 14 yeah. animations, like from Reign of Terror to Moonbase. Uh, yeah, the Moonbase. Then it'll be those, and then <laughs> Web of Fear down at the absolute bottom. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, it's. I can understand the reason behind it. It was an interesting experiment, but man, it was an experiment that they mm. should never have tried. Again, it's like, again, to quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, it's like as if they were spending so much time thinking whether or not they could, they just didn't bother to stop to think if they should. Well, exactly. <laughs> fear in a nutshell. Yeah, we 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 don't talk about weather fear. That is at the bottom of the yeah. ranking. We'll always be at the bottom of the ranking. I probably will still watch it when I watch Web of Fear because I prefer it to a Telesnap recon, but it'll be 25 minutes every time that I'm hoping goes past more quickly than 25 minutes. Um, my ranking, um, I would still, yeah, I agree with you guys. Evil the Daleks is at the top. It's, 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 the, it's the ultimate animation. Um, I don't think there's any other way of looking at it. It's definitely the best one they've done so far at any point. Uh, Macro Terror is also top quality, probably not as much in terms of story, but in terms of pure animation, it's also absolutely brilliant. Um, then after that, I think I would put Abominable pretty close. Um, I sort of realised that Power of the Daleks in, many, in many ways a bit of an anomaly, because Power of the Daleks, the remastered version, was black and white only, which is quite is, it now feels unusual, because all of the other animations they've done since 2016 have been in colour, or primarily to be made in colour, apart from Power of the Daleks. So... There's an interesting fact. I don't know quite what it means, but it's interesting. Um, so I, yeah, I would put it. Um, I would put it behind the faceless ones because I prefer the story of the faceless ones. But I would kind of put the animation on the sort of level below Evil of the Daleks and Macro Terror, but on the sort of faceless ones and Fury from the Deep level. I'd put a Bumble Snowman there, and then. Power of the Daleks, I kind of put out to one side with all the black and white ones like Invasion and the other two episode ones they did because they just feel slightly different because they're black and white. They almost feel like they're meant to be more accurate, not accurate, but more fitting in with the original bits of stories, whereas all these other color ones feel like they're kind of own thing a bit more. So I feel like that's why I kind of separate them a little bit. But I was looking through it through and it's remarkable that there are 14 stories now that have animated episodes for them um so that's that's pretty cool as much as it's a shame that they're finishing i think it's pretty cool and impressive that they've covered so many um up until this point and you never know they might even discover some more episodes if we're really lucky um but no that's probably not going to happen it's been 12 it's been what 10 9 10 years the longest gap ever between missing episodes yeah. being discovered so it's looking less and less likely on that front as well um but you know, we still got the collection range, so that's going to keep this podcast going because we haven't got a lot else anymore. Um, and I know we haven't talked about season two yet, but we will, we will down the line. Um, yeah. And what, well, one other thing I should say, of course, actually, is that Charlie unfortunately couldn't join us this evening. He's been off busy doing other things, but he did want to have his say on the Abominable Snowmen and the special features. So I'm going to drop in right now a little bit of a thought from Charlie. Hello everybody, um, I'm very sorry I couldn't make it to the recording of this episode of Kavan today, but me and Elliot have agreed that I can do um, my own little segment of the video just talking a little bit about the story, the animation, the special features. So we might as well just um, get talking about um, the story. So I don't quite know, um, I, I don't quite know what you guys have already said or 
I don't know if I'm first or last or whatever, I don't really know the context of where I'm placed in the episode of this, but it might seem a little bit jarring. Uh, and I might have just repeated loads of plot points you guys uh, have already said. Anyway, um, the story, so this is like my first time experiencing the story of the Abominable Snowmen. Lots of other people have seen it in the form of um, telesnap reconstructions or the audio or even like one of the novelizations. I don't know. Um, I mean, or, e or even when it was first broadcast, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, this is my first time ever experiencing the story of the Abominable Snowmen. And I don't know why I thought this, but I always thought that it was sort of the... Um, the inferior sort of cousin story to The Web of Fear, because for me it seemed like a prequel, basically, to The Web of Fear. And I feel, um, when opposed to The Web of Fear, I honestly think it's better. I'm not sure what you guys think about that. Um, that might be a really controversial take. I'm not too sure, but this is a lot better of a story than I was expecting. Um, I feel the main reason is that lots of Troughton stories, and like, I love the Troughton era, right? I love the base under siege format, but lots of his six parters or even five parters really do drag, and like they, you know they, they don't drag badly in this end. Like they're just the six episodes, and they have enough plot to fill maybe two or three. They repeat lots of plot points, and it's quite formulaic. It, it's good. It's a good formula, but it does get a bit tiring. I feel um, the prime example of that is the Ice Warriors. Even the Web of Fear, to a certain extent, does repeat plot points um, a lot, which isn't great. And I feel um, this, it was saying this in the booklet as well, but I happen to agree quite a lot after watching the whole story. Um, it really doesn't drag. It feels like it's organically meant to be six parts, maybe five, maybe seven, I don't know, around that area. You know, it feels like it's naturally, organically slow burning. You know, it's just, it's spread, you know, it's spread fairly thinly, you know, it, it isn't, you know, by its nature a slow burner. It's not a quick action-packed story like The Web of Fear, but that works in its favour because it doesn't repeat plot points. It's fairly slow, but, and it spreads itself thinly enough, but, you know, sorry, I, I don't really know where I'm going with this metaphor. Um, it's, it's a very good story, though. Um, I really do like it, and I feel I didn't really get bored watching it, even though, like I said, it's a slow burner. As for the characters, um... Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines are on top form as always. Um, you know, I love the second Doctor and Jamie's dynamic. It's just fantastic. Victoria, this is her like second story as proper companion. She's not amazing. I don't love Victoria as a companion. You know, she's endearing enough to be likable, but that's about it. Um, she only really is there to have more chemistry with the second Doctor and Jamie, and that's fine. Um, oh, I'm screaming at the monsters, I suppose, which we do get a bit of in this episode um, story naturally. Um, and, you know, as for the animation, we might as well get start, get talking about that since I've waffled about other stuff for like three and a half minutes. Um, yeah, the animation was very, very solid. I don't feel it's on the same level as um, the BBC Studios animations, those being um, Macro Terror, Faceless One, Evil of the Daleks, those three consecutive stories that are like the Holy Trinity of Doctor Who animation. Um, I suppose you can include Jada in that, all 25 versions. Um, but yeah, I feel this with this animation might quite not be on the same level as those ones I've just mentioned, but it's certainly up there. Like I feel it's better than um, it's better than Fury from the Deep. I feel the animation style works significantly better with an outdoor landscape to what it did with a futuristic base under siege. Um, although this is a base under siege, it doesn't really feel like one. It doesn't have the futuristic elements lots of uh, the Patrick Troughton and season five in particular does. Um, the I feel the painted landscapes of the Himalayas look actually really visually striking. It's a very nice, like the colours are very muted and toned down, but it looks very, like it's a very soothing atmosphere. I really like it and I feel it works very well with the character designs, which um, the character designs, they're, they're fine. You know, they're, they're, I never really have much to say on the character designs because they're always good but not good enough to write home about, but just competent enough not to be harsh on. They're just they're just there. They just serve the character designs and they're fine. Um, yeah, they're, they're all right, except for one, which I'll get on to. Um, I do have a couple of slight nitpicks, though, um, about the animation, because while it's great, it wasn't perfect. And firstly, it's just simply the style of the, like, just the general style. Like, while I do think it's animated competently, the style of the characters 
I just don't think it's as good as a BBC Studios ones, you know, that, like I mentioned, The Holy Trinity and Shada. Um, it's just, I don't know, I, I just don't think it looks as nice. I feel it looks a little bit um, 2000s. Maybe not necessarily 2000s, but I, I, I wasn't really watching Doctor Who animations back then. But I don't think it looks fantastic. I feel it could have been from 10 years ago, which is fair enough when they have the budget they have. I'm very happy we've got this animation. In fact, it's um, it's rather bittersweet given that we probably won't get another until, I don't know, <laughs> you know, mid-2020s, late 2020, you know, the 30s. I'm not too sure. But it, yeah, it's great to have another animation. But even then, I don't think it's fantastic. I feel it's very good. Um, another thing is the, um, I don't feel the, the characters really work in the sort of, they've got, they've gone for like a sort of pseudo 3D environment for the, um, the courtyard of Detson, and I don't know, I just think it looks a bit weird. Um, and as for, um, the other sort of nitpick on the animation is especially a bad character design of Padma Sandhava. I really hope I pronounced that right. Yeah, he wasn't great. I really didn't like Padma Sandhava's design. It looks... I, I, I was barely, um, you know, I, I wasn't watching Doctor Who or anything in the 2000s, but it, it gives that vibe. He, he does not look very good. Um, looks, you know, I've seen pictures of Padma Sandhava from the original story, and to be fair, you know, I'll give them credit, it's hard to animate that. They, you know, they had a challenge there, but I, even though that's not really an excuse, um, I'm not taking it as... You know, I sorry, I am taking it as it is. You know, I, I don't think he was very well animated. Yeah. Um, also, another just tiny nitpick. Sometimes when the character pans over to a thing, um, you know, from one thing to another, especially when it's moving slowly, it like it does this really weird jarring, like six frames a second sort of shift, and it just looks really weird, especially when lots of the other camera movements are really smooth, which is fairly easy to do. It's just like the it doesn't look very nice. Um, you know, so those three nitpicks are all I all I really have um, to say bad about this animation. For the most part, it's nothing to write home about. It's perfectly competent. Um, oh, another positive actually is the um, the color. It looks very nice. I feel lots of the animations, um, like even the good ones, like Microterra faceless ones, um, the color feels like it's just plastered on afterwards and it's not really given much attention to detail. Um, I know we were talking about that was definitely the case with the original Power of the Daleks um, when we were talking about the animations on our second episode of Kavan. And I feel that absolutely is not the case here and it hasn't been for the last few animations. I feel the colour has been like specially done and I feel they've put a lot of care into it and I, I think it works really well. It looks very nice. It's not overly uh, garish or colourful. It just looks organic like it would have if um, it had been broadcasting colour originally. I feel it's great. Um, that's, I, I, I sadly didn't watch the um, special features. I haven't quite had the time to, so I'm sorry about that. I might talk a little bit about them in, um, I don't know, in the next episode. I could just like talk a little bit about them for a couple of minutes. I just haven't had the time to watch the special features. I'm sure you guys will, or already have, <laughs> uh, talked about the animations. The special features of the animation. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say, everyone. Um, thanks for listening to my bit of the segment, and uh, back to you guys. So, thank you, Charlie, for sharing your little thoughts in there um, about it. It was great to hear what you had to say about the um, story as well. Well, Ryan and Bill, thank you very much for your thoughts. Have you enjoyed discussing um, the Vumble Snowmen? I mean, it might be the last time for a very long time we talk about animations on this podcast. So, um, do you feel like we we went out on a high with the animations, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, considering that it was either going to be this or Galaxy 4, I think we definitely got the, the better choice in the end. Um, yeah, it's definitely good to end the um, the animation range on. And even even though it did take a long while for it to come out and, and we didn't get that much marketing about it until like a, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. I'd say, still more than what we've got from the... Jodie Whittaker's last episode, which is uh, really saying something, and that and yeah. that is basically less than a month. I think less than a month to come out. So it's in terms of marketing, it's a 
Doctor is in a weird spot at the moment. Yeah, of course, like yeah. They have no idea what to do with their marketing. I was thinking about the podcast we're making, and I forgot that we've got to make a podcast about an episode of Doctor Who that's actually coming up yeah. soon, because I forgot it was even <laughs> happening. So um, I think that says it all, isn't it, about the Centenary? No, I do know the Centenary special is coming up. It's coming up next month. It's probably like five or six weeks away. Um, will we preview it? I don't know. We'll definitely review it um, mm. after it comes out. Whether we have good things to say about it, who knows? I don't know. Bill, I'm going to give you your last thought here. On a scale of one to ten, how excited are you for the centenary special? Uh, <laughs> it's a hard, I don't know. hard I... question when you don't know anything about it. But yeah, you keep asking me really hard questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think. I want to be like cautiously optimistic about okay. it and okay. say, yeah, I want I want Jodie to go out on the high. Yeah. Um, but as for whether she does, I again because we know so little about the special to begin with, we've got no idea how it's gonna work out. Exactly. Successfully evading the question there. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I know it's, it's an impossible question to answer really, isn't it? So um, yeah, but on, on, on other notes, we're going to be covering, we've got lots of podcasts coming up. I know we've been on a break for a while, but there's many other things to come. We're going to discuss the Dalek movies because of course, both of those were released in the summer um, on 4K Blu-ray with new um, sort of mini documentaries about them. They weren't very long, but they were there. So we're going to chat about them. Um, and some general thoughts on the movies as well. And if we have 4K Blu-ray players, then we'll talk about if it looks any good in 4K. Um, they go, Ryan's going to tell us about the 4K. I, I don't have a 4K Blu-ray player, so I can't. But um, I'm sure they'll look great in 1080p, 2K as well. So there'll definitely be a pod about that. We're going to talk about season two when the Blu-ray becomes a bit nearer. Um, I know that the BFI screening for season two, um, and this is going to be the time medley, and it's going to be on October 29th. So we can assume from that that they're not going to release it before October 29th. I would guess, therefore, it's going to be sometime in November that we're going to get a release. Maybe they'll release it somewhere around the anniversary of Doctor Who, because that seems quite a logical time to release anything Doctor Who related. So I would anticipate somewhere near that. It's worth noting that it will mean that this year we've only had two collection releases in a year. For um, for a normal year, having that is... They, they, they said they were aiming for three, so it's noticeable as only two, but... We'll be covering that. We'll be covering the Centenary special and I'm sure we'll think of some other things to talk about as well. Um, but that is it from this edition of Kavam. I hope you have enjoyed it. Do If you're watching on YouTube, let us know in the comments that you're enjoying it and you can also check us out on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts or on all the usual places you can find a podcast. Um, follow it, subscribe it, whatever button you click on those different ones to just keep across what we're doing because there's going to be lots more coming um, and I hope you're going to be able to enjoy it. But from me, from Ryan, from Bill, it's goodbye for now.